Will you pray with me? Lord, this is a magnificent passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at as we see Paul reflect encouragement to this church in Thessalonica. And yet my mind is so fragmented. I feel like there's all kinds of different things I want to be sure to say. I'm not sure how to tie them together, but Lord, I believe that you have something for us. And so I just ask that you will do that which you desire to do this morning through your word, your Holy Spirit. It's your work and your power. So Lord, speak to us from what it is that you have given to us in your written word. Reveal it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So we're just coming off of Easter, and it's already Christmas. So it feels like it's kind of weird. We're just coming off of Easter, and, and likely in these holidays, whether it's Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving is a big one, you've had some interaction with family and family members. Some of you maybe are thrilled that you had that opportunity, and others of you perhaps are glad that it's over, and you won't have to have those interactions again till the next major holiday. Every family is a little bit different. It's a reality. Sometimes we struggle with some of these family dynamics, and sometimes we crave them. But I think what we're going to see this morning is Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, is going to reveal this picture of a family and how it should be, but particularly in this family of God. But it's interesting when we look at families, the things that a family will do for other people in the family, it's really, it's astounding. Uh, I have to humbly admit, last night, we made sure that there was no recording devices happening, but I engaged in family dance competition. I would never do that with any of you. But the things that we do for family somehow is elevated. You know what I'm saying? And I know I'm not the only family that's done that because there is a video out there that I have begged to see, but I will not be revealed to me that Andrew is dancing as well in their family dance-off. But the, the, the point of it is there's, there, when it comes to family, we're willing to do things that kind of put us out there that maybe even are, are more difficult. I wouldn't do it for anyone else, but I'll do it for family. I guess I, what I see in, in Paul's writing here, there's something special about this church in Thessalonica it's a family. I remember in college, I had a friend, it was actually Sarah's roommate, and she had a vehicle, it was a Chevy Blazer, and the vehicle broke down on the side of the road, Highway 5, and so she stuck there. So we had to go and we had to pick her up and we had to bring her back. We left the vehicle there, and so she ends up calling her dad. She lived in Marshfield, Wisconsin, so it was about three hours away from the school, and her dad's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So he goes and he rents a car trailer and he, he asks me through her to get a group of guys together. I had a station wagon at the time. So we all loaded up into the station wagon and I, we drive over to meet him. We kind of got it coordinated as to what time he would arrive from Marshfield, Wisconsin, pulling this trailer in this big truck. So he arrives, he pulls up in front of her blazer, and we're, I, my, me and this group of guys are designed, we're, our job is to push this vehicle up onto the trailer. And so here he comes, he's just driven three hours from Marshfield to Wisconsin, he gets out, he takes the keys from her, he sits in, he wants to troubleshoot it a little bit and find out what's wrong with this vehicle, and so he sits down, and he goes to start it, and sure enough, it turns over, but it won't start. And he sits there for just a moment, and he gets out of the vehicle, and he walks around to the back of the vehicle, he kind of gets on the bumper, he starts bouncing on the bumper with his head down. 
And then he turns to his daughter and he says, when's the last time you got gas? <laughs> she just turned pale. And she said, no. And says, yeah. So he hands me, he had a gas can in his truck and he hands me a gas can. And he says, I want you to go down to the gas station just a block or so away. I want you to go and get some gas and bring it back. So he did, sure enough, the vehicle started up. Uh, the things we do for family, Right? You know, and in that case, he was willing to drive this long distance, and now he's going to be willing to ridicule her for the rest of her life, you know? But there's something special. It's, you know, it's, it's fascinating when you look at family and what we're willing to do. You know, growing up, I had three siblings. Um, they all hated me, and now they think I'm the greatest. I'm sure of it. But I was a bully, you know, I was bullied to my, my siblings, and I enjoyed it, quite frankly. I relished the fact that I could torture them. My older brother, I had an older brother, he was only 14 months older, but I was always, because we were so close in age, I was always larger. So he had really no chance. All the way, I still am bigger than he is. Well, he weighs more, but that's, I'm still bigger. He's trying, to, he's trying to outdo me. Stop it. Anyway, in this regards, always kind of, Hating, I don't know hating is the right word, but enjoying, relishing the fact of the torture. My little brother, I, I couldn't, I loved the fact of when he would get into trouble and my parents were yelling at him. I'd just sit there and I'd smile. My little brother's in trouble. But I remember, and I wrote about this in the email, my older brother once, and, and all of this picking on him and, and kind of suffering that I would inflict on, it came to a point where we're in elementary school. I would guesstimate maybe second, third grade, or third or fourth grade. He was one year older than I was. We're at the park, and we had walked there from my grandmother's house. And while we're there, this kid and two other guys show up. I don't know where they came from. I don't know what happened and how it all developed so quickly. But the next thing I know, there's my brother getting tackled and thrown to the ground and pummeled. And it's just like, I'm not okay with that. This guy that I normally, that's my job, if you will. And suddenly something switched inside. It's like, I'm not okay with this. And, and the, this, this phrase, you know, blood is thicker than water, really is like that made sense to me. It's like, no, you can't, you can't do that. And so unfortunately, I was not as big as these other thugs. Uh, and so they, they did. They was, you know, I, I was wrapped up into one of them. They just, I just had to stand there and watch my older brother get beat up. Um, I'd say it's scarring, but it's not. I'm over it for the most part. But again, the point of it is there's something special when it comes to family. And what we are going to see in this passage, I'm convinced, is Paul shows us that there is a family that is rich and it's deep and it's better than the biological family. Interestingly, in the, in the Jewish culture, family was huge. You read about it in the Old Testament. So for instance, if, and for us in America, this confuses us. We don't understand it. Okay, I get that. We don't understand it, but it still points this picture of family where you can have a husband and a wife and let's say that he dies. Well, it's the brother's responsibility to take his wife and make her, his own as well. It's like, well, that seems weird. But it's because of the family. It's because it's important. It's valued. And that's what I think we're going to see this morning as we engage it. So where have we been? We've been going through the book of Thessalonians. Last week was wonderful, looking at, at the resurrection and this, this picture. But because of what Jesus did, he creates this opportunity for us in engaging in the family. But just to kind of touch on it, we've been going through Thessalonians. And in chapter 2, verse 14... 
We got this verse. It says, for you brothers and sisters, and notice the words brothers and sisters all the way throughout this letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica is filled with words like brother, sister, children, mother, father. We've seen it. And so Paul keeps painting this picture that there's something special going on here in regards to the family. So for you, brothers and sisters, you guys became imitators of the churches, of God's churches in Judea. And so remember the sequence. Paul had gone to this region. It was not part of his plan. All right, if you're just joining us, you're not familiar with the whole sequence. Paul was going on his second missionary journey. His intent was to go and visit the churches that he had already been to. But in that process of going to those churches, he was able to visit some. And then the next thing you know, somehow the Holy Spirit was preventing him from going any farther. And he had to go up to Macedonia because he had a vision of a man in Macedonia. He's like, okay, that's where we got to go. So he goes to a place that he was not intending to go, but it was in that process, going somewhere where he wasn't planning on going, but God did have a plan for him, that he started establishing churches in Philippi and then in Thessalonica. Well, he wasn't long in Thessalonica. He was only there for a very brief moment when already as the people are hearing this message, this gospel, and they're excited about this incredible gospel, but just like that, he's kicked out of town. And so Paul's actually fleeing for his life out of Thessalonica, and it's the church that says, hey, you got to get out of here. And as we read and we looked at that in Acts 17, we see Paul goes then to Berea, but he's not okay leaving those people to Thessalonica. So, so quick, it's like, what chance do they have? What hope do they have? So he sent Silas and, and Timothy back to be with them. And he, they weren't there very long either. And Paul ends up, they meet da, uh, down in Berea then, and... Uh, go into Athens, and we're, we're going to see is when Paul's down in Athens, something significant is also going to happen. But he, he gets this report. We're going to get that as we go through it today. But this is that picture. Paul has heard this report of what's going on in Thessalonica. He's heard the report, and he's like, really? This church that didn't have a chance, it didn't have a hope? What a good report that's happening. And he says, you brothers and sisters, you guys have become imitators of the churches of Judea. What was happening there in the, the old part where the gospel originated? People were hearing the gospel and they were enduring persecution and they're holding true to what the gospel was all about. And he says, you guys in Thessalonica, you're doing the same thing. You're being attacked by your own people. You're being persecuted and yet you're holding to that which is true, even though it's difficult. And you're becoming imitators of what that church, those churches in Judea we're doing. You suffered from your own people the same things as those churches suffered as the Jews. So we step into today. We're going to look at verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 13. And it starts it off as, but brothers and sisters, same language. When you, when we were orphaned, I mean, he brings in this other picture. This is, the, I just grasped the idea of the family that's going on here. When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought. In other words, we were separated from you. We were, not lo- we were no longer with you, but you never left our minds. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. It's interesting what we're going to see in this imagery is Paul's heart for the Thessalonians and his love for them is not one-sided. It's reciprocated. The Thessalonians also have as much love for Paul, but he doesn't know it at this time. I remember when my wife and I first started dating. You know, this is very difficult for young men especially to be able to share their feelings of true admiration and affection for a gal. 
And so I remember sitting her down. It was just her and I, and I just I wanted to tell her how I felt about her. And I said, you know, Sarah, I just, I really, I really like you, and I, I, I think I'd like to see this as being something that's exclusive, just you and I, and, you know, kind of laid it all out there. Her response was, okay. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> that's all I get? Okay. <laughs> All right, this got really super awkward in a big hurry. But, but what, Paul, what we see here, but the, in a sense, that's kind of what Paul's reaching for here. It's just like, you guys have no idea how much I care for you. And he's longing to hear, in a sense, that reciprocated feeling. And he's going to get it through the words of Timothy when he comes back to report it. But you know what it's like? When you care for someone deeply, you don't want it to be one-sided. You, you want it to be reciprocated. That's family. You know, what kind of a family is it if there's just love that goes one direction, one direction, one direction, and it's never coming back, coming back, coming back? It's family. And we're going to see it kind of develop here as we, as we navigate through this. So verse 18 then says, for we wanted, Paul, Paul's writing this, he's writing back to this, this church in Thessalonica. He's heard this report. I just, he says, I want, to, I want you to understand my deep love for you. We wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did again and again, but Satan blocked our ways. Like, I want you guys to know that was my heart's desire to come. I couldn't make it home for Christmas. That didn't mean I didn't want to be. I mean, do you see the, the picture that's going on here? I couldn't come. I wanted, but I couldn't make it. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? Oh, this is magnificent. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? In other words, hey, I couldn't make it there. And I don't know, the reality of it is, Paul doesn't even know if he'll ever see these people that he, he cares about deeply. He doesn't know if he'll ever see him again. But yet in that line then, the Lord Jesus, when he comes, signifies what we're going to see as this, this letter to the first, Thessalonian, the first Thessalonian letter reveals, and Second Thessalonians will show it as well, but there is something, there's a hope that lingers there. When Jesus comes, the family will be united or reunited. Does it, do you follow? So what Paul's getting at is like, I can't be with you now. Satan has prevented it, but he can't stop this reality that Jesus is going to be coming back and I will be reunited with you again. We will be together again and we can hold on to that hope. And that is my joy is that fact that I know that you will be there and I will be there as well. And we can relish in that. We can have a hope. We can have a joy. And it is the crown of our existence to know that we get to be with you as part of that family. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our crown and joy. Second Corinthians chapter four, it gives us this picture of keeping our eyes focused because we can get so easily get focused on what is difficult in this world. We can get so easily focused on what's going on here and in the me moment. So Paul in this moment here, what we're going to see is his vulnerability where he longs to be with them, but there's actually a moment where he feels like, I don't know if they like me. He's got that vulnerability where I don't, I, they might be angry with me. You know what it's like when you got a family member and you suspect perhaps that they're not happy with you and that anxiety that you feel, the tension that you feel, that's in a sense what Paul's experiencing here. He wants it to be reciprocated, that love, but there's this transitional moment where he doesn't know it. And this points to, even in those times when it's difficult, when there's anxiety, when there's stress, what will our focus be on? 
Is it going to be on the hardship? Is it going to be on the mess? Is it going to be on the struggle? Or is it going to be on this? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. In other words, there's a bigger picture. Paul sees it. He wants them to see it. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, he's saying, I'm focused on Christ. And he recognizes that this church in Thessalonica is likewise focused on Christ. And that is why he believes and knows that when it comes to the return of Christ, I will be with you. That's where his hope lies. Hebrews 12 points to it as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Your life might be getting really rough right now. There's some that I know of that are dealing with some heavy, heavy things. And you think, well, maybe he's talking about me. I might be, but the reality of it is, I might be talking about someone else who's got even heavier things that you're dealing that they're dealing with. Oh, there's such a heaviness of life, and it's not getting any easier. The snow is the least of our problems. You know, I, I get that. Most of us kind of woke up and was like, oh, I'm so sick of it. I'm agitated. I'm angry. I was there too. But that's the least of our garbage that we have to deal with. And so what is my response to the garbage that I have to deal with? What is the response to the suffering and the persecution that the Thessalonians had to deal with or the churches in Judea had to deal with? It's keeping your eyes fixed and focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. When your life gets nasty and it will, oh, hold to this. Just hold to it. Hold to it. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Matthew 25. I only show, show this up to you just basically to show the idea of the, the, the perspective. Keeping your eyes focused on it. And this paints this picture of this idea of Jesus coming back. We don't know when, but Matthew 25 lays out this, Jesus gives this parable. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. All right, let's see what they did. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. That's like taking a flashlight without batteries. Okay. That, that's the equivalent. We don't have oil and lamps and such like that, but that's the idea. I got, you got your flashlight? Yes, sir, I do. And you go out, do you have batteries? No, sir, I don't. That's not going to do you any good, right? The wise ones, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. Okay, they took the flashlight with the batteries. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. In other words, it's time, are you ready? Then all the 10 virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. That would be like, put the batteries inside. The foolish one said to the, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the response is, if we give you our batteries, we don't have any batteries for ourselves. Do you, you see the concept? And they'd be, they'd be lost. In other words, stay diligent. This isn't about work, 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 work. It's about keeping your eyes focused on Christ. As we look at family, as we look at the church family, it's very easy to fall into, mm, I don't like this. It's very easy to fall into, I prefer this. 
And there's aspects that we need to do in order to continue to keep our eyes focused to worship. But don't fall into the trap of believing that this is important enough for me to cut the family down. Did you, did you catch that? You grasp that? So they said, no, we're not giving our batteries. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some. Go to, the, go to Casey's and go get your own batteries. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were, already, who were ready went with, in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came also. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But they replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. In other words, okay, you went to church, but your eyes weren't focused on me. I don't know who you are. Going to church is not the big thing. You know, another, one question to ask, and this is, I don't, anything I say is never intended to lay guilt anywhere. I just want to be clear on that. Because you may be saying, that, well, that made me feel guilty. That's not the goal. Don't ever take it that way. If the Spirit causes you to feel convicted, that's different. However, in this picture right now with the, with the church, did Jesus Christ die, take our sins upon us, upon him and die for our sins, paid the penalty. That's what we talked about last week. He paid the penalty for it. He took them away, and then he made a way. Remember, we ripped the curtain and such. Did Jesus do all that just so that we could meet once a week for an hour on Sunday morning? The church is more than this. That's, all, that's the point, okay? There's not intended to be any kind of conviction or laying guilt. That's not the point. But the church is more than what we have going on right now. It's bigger than that. And I believe that we will see that as we navigate through this continually. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I didn't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Back to Thessalonians, this is chapter three, verse one. So when we, get, when we could stand it no longer, this is Paul's writing again, we could stand it no longer. We thought it best to, to be left by ourselves in Athens. In other words, what Paul's ready to do is perhaps the most difficult thing he's ever done in ministry. His most difficult thing in ministry wasn't to leave Antioch and Jerusalem and to go travel to foreign areas. That wasn't the most difficult. What's the most difficult right now is he's going into Athens. Athens had 30,000 different gods. So he's in basically the realm of godlessness. There's is the, the most pagan city that perhaps the world has ever known. They're basically a bunch of, you know, philosophical, well, if we don't agree with you, I'm, you're an idiot. And all this stuff he's dealing with, the, the, the yuck of that whole culture is what Athens is. There's more ungodliness going on in that city than anywhere else in the world, and that's what he steps into. And now what he's basically saying is, I feel like what we had to do was let you have Timothy. So he's going to send Timothy back. Do you understand the sacrifice that Paul makes in that moment? recognizing you as the family, I have to give you Timothy to help you. It's that important for the family, the things that we do for family. Will you drive across the country just to help your family move 30 minutes away? It seems absurd, and yet we probably have stories that exist like that. So he says, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves. In other words, I'm staying here in Athens, and I'm going to send you Timothy. So we sent Timothy. He's our brother and co-worker in God's service and in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In other words, trouble's coming. 
And we, won't, we don't want you to be left alone. We want you to have Timothy. You know, it seems like it's leaving, it's leaving Paul alone, but there, there's a reality that we must understand too when we look at, at who Jesus was. And in Matthew 28, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that exists. Jim Elliott puts it this way, when we look at the, the doing of difficult things for ministry. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary to, to Ecuador. And when he went to the people, basically, it, it was a death sentence. Is really what it was going to be. The, pe- the people he was going to was like, they're killers. And Jim Elliott understood that. And Jim Elliott knew that. He was an alliance missionary. And this is what he said. He said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot gain, c- cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He got it. There's another story I came across this week. It's fascinating. So it's by another missionary, John G. Patton. He was a missionary to Vanuatu in 1858. They were known to be cannibals. And so there was a Mr. Dixon that tried to dissuade Mr. Patton. He said, Mr. Patton, you cannot go. You're going into an area where they're known to be cannibals. In other words, they're going to eat you if you go there. And Patton's response, this, I don't know if I've ever heard anything better. Listen to this. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid out in the grave. In other words, you're old and you're dying, is really what I said. I like that part just on, on, on its own. There, to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live, but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by worms or by cannibals. And in the great day, my resurrect my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Isn't that something? Who of us could say that? I can't say that. I would say, well, I don't want to go there. They might eat me. And this guy says, well, worms are going to get you if you don't. And he says, all right. If only to have that mindset. But this is the picture of someone who's kept his focus on who Jesus is. Does that mean that he's not going to be killed? It doesn't. In fact, Patton's story was he went there and his wife was killed. And I believe also a daughter. I'd have to look that part up. But he, he, it's not like he went without suffering. He went with great suffering. But keeping his eyes there, it's just like he understood the bigger picture that Christ is coming back and there's, there's a greater hope. 1 Samuel 15 kind of alludes to this as well, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight? This was after Saul had gone in and basically um, disobeyed God you know, by offering a sacrifice that was displeasing to God. It's like, well, I did the sacrifice. And this is Samuel's reply. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is the better than the sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. In fact, Paul goes on to say, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. In other words, everything that we said was going to happen. We, we told you that it was going to be hard to be in the church. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. In other words, I had to know what was going on in the family. So I sent Timothy to find out. I was afraid. Oh, hear his vulnerability. This is what Paul was really struggling with. This is, this is where he's afraid of what they're looking and thinking of him. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. You know, Paul's saying, I didn't know if you even liked me. I, I thought maybe you guys were angry with me. I thought maybe you were upset with me. 
that you were angry that I didn't come to visit, that you kind of cut me off, in a sense, from the family. I was worried that Satan was tempting you in that way. But Timothy has brought me back a report that is so contrary. What the Holy Spirit was doing in that church in Thessalonica is nothing short of a miracle because they had nothing to go with. They had nothing to build on. And yet the power of the Holy Spirit was present in such a way where they understood what it was to not only be a family, but also to keep their family's focus on Christ. Verse 7 then says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all your distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. First Peter 4 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In other words, suffering is going to happen, but stick together, it'll be okay, you'll get through it. Second Corinthians 12, Paul writes this, Likewise, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. In other words, when it's difficult, when life is really hard, and you want God to just to take it away, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the strength to endure that, and that's going to be a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, and in persecution, and difficulties, for when I am weak, and he is strong. None of us like to reveal our weakness. None of us. We like to look like we have it all together, like we don't make mistakes. And when we do, we try to cover them up. We try to make it look like, ah, I didn't really do that. Maybe something else happened. Maybe this, that, or the other thing. But in the reality, it says when you're weak and you're broken and you're a mess, that reveals the Lord's goodness and his grace and his perfection as you're covered in righteousness. Okay, um, I think we can jump to seven. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all your distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And then verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw this, oh, I'm, I'm switching. This is what I want us to see. That's why I switched. So last week, we talked briefly about Simon Peter's reaction to God, to Jesus, when he was in the boat. So he said, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all your distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of, of your faith. When we come face to face with Jesus Christ, we talked about this last week, we are transformed. And this is what I want us to really understand. Paul was leaving himself alone in Athens to give the church what they needed. He was willing to suffer for what the church needed. Hear this. Paul wasn't alone. And here's evidence of that fact. When Simon Peter, remember this one, when Simon's in the boat, just meeting Jesus. And they never caught any fish all night. And the Lord says, cast your net on the other side. Cast your net on the other side. They pull in all kinds of fish. It's like a great day of fishing suddenly. And in that casting and catching all of that fish, Peter recognizes his own sinfulness. He recognizes his own depravity. He recognizes the holiness of God. And he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. But Jesus didn't leave. That's what I want you to grasp. Jesus didn't go. Jesus didn't leave him. In the midst of Peter's sin, in the midst of Peter's depravity, Jesus doesn't leave us. Paul was left away from Timothy, but he was not alone. He had the power of the Holy Spirit with him. I just I want you to grasp that. The power of the Spirit is with the family. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? And now I want you to, as we kind of wrap up, you kind of heard the, the story. This is Paul's evidence. He's basically he's, he's sharing words of encouragement to the family. This is the family. It's the family of God. Jesus' blood runs thicker than the blood of the family. Do you, you catch that? So if blood is thicker than water, Jesus' blood is thicker than the blood of the family. In other words, you, you have, families are good. 
You know, in fact, there's a moment, I think it's in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus is talking with some of the, the leaders and he basically says, if you don't hate your father and mother, you have no business following me. Is he actually saying, go hate your father and mother? No, he's basically saying, my family is richer and deeper and better. For some of us, you don't have a good family experience. For some of us, parents, it's been rough. Siblings, it's been rough. And so this comparison to family might not be something that's attracting to you. But the reality of it is what Paul is saying is, there's a family that's available. And as soon as we say yes to Jesus Christ, you are adopted. You are no longer orphans. You are adopted into that family. Paul writes about it in Ephesians. To be adopted is to become a permanent part of the family. For some of us, that's what we need. For others of us, we've been burned by the family. Even in this family, we've been criticized in the midst of this family. Keeping our eyes focused, there's family, and it's good, and it's important. And this is what I want us to conclude with. What Paul does here now is he takes time and he prays for the family. I'd like us to take some time to pray for the family. For some of you, you may have feel like you've got brothers and sisters, and it's like, why, we're just buttonheads. Could be actual brothers and sisters. It could be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're just buttonheads. I'm so tired of it. I enjoy it, actually, when I see them suffer. I enjoy it when, when things don't go well for them. I kind of want to stick it to them sometimes. When mom and dad get mad at them, I kind of enjoy it. That's kind of this picture that we sometimes have. And what I want us to challenge is we have to start seeing Jesus for who he is, ourselves for who we are, but then the family of God for what it is that he's created to be. It's a family. It's designed to run thick. It's designed to run deep. And so this is a prayer. So Paul is going to write, and he says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, clear the way for us and come to you. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to come up and they're just going to, they're going to play. I've got two more verses in 12 and 13. They're prayers. I want you to take some time and I want you to pray. I want you to pray. When you look at this first verse, and says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What's lacking in your faith? Or perhaps you, you're having someone, you're struggling with someone else who's part of this body, and you're just like, Lord, I don't know what's lacking in their faith, but would you draw near to them? You understand what I'm saying? It's starting to pray for your family as well as yourself as being part of that family. And instead of coming up and just saying, hey, you need to change this, let's just take some time and let's pray as a family for the family. And then verse 11 says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. I want to pray for what the Lord has for this family. And then verses 12 and 13, and we're going to go back up. You'll get to see them again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Ask the Lord to increase your love for the family. Ask the Lord to increase others' love for the family. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to you. Will you pray? So the band's just going to play some music. And we're going to guide through this a little bit. We're going to pray, and then they're going to lead us in some songs. So take some time. I want you to pray. I want you to consider. Where's your faith lacking? Maybe it's in your own finances. Tax day was yesterday. I don't know how your taxes came out this year. Mine didn't come out real good. Where's my faith lacking? I'll tell you right where my faith is lacking. In the Lord's provisions. Where's your faith lacking? 
Perhaps there's others that are around you. It can be actual biological family members or other family members in the church. Who needs your prayers? Take some time to pray. This is the band plays. destructive to your relationship, not only between each other, but also the Lord. Pray that the Lord will clear a way for that to have restitution. Pray. the boldest act of any follower of Christ is that to love. To love when someone is unlovable. To love in the midst of after a hurt has been inflicted upon you. To love someone who no one else loves. And as the body of Christ, as the family of God, we are called to love. The Spirit will lead us towards that. love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does. Pray that the Lord will increase your love. Pray that the Lord will increase the love of the church for each other. Take some time to pray. Finally, the prayer is, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Take some time to pray for what your needs are in transformation. Ask the Lord to do that which only he can do, and it's a transforming work inside your heart. You know your struggle. You know your bitterness. You know your joy. You know your anxiety, you know your peace. Invite the Lord to do that transforming work in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I think that this passage is incredible when we look at how it reflects Paul's love for the family of God and their love for Paul and for each other. Lord, would you do that work in us individually and corporately as well? 
Would you create in us such a, a love and a burden? It's not about doing more. It's not about doing this, that, or the other thing to be accepted. It's about, as a family, what does the family need? I've seen it evidence, even this this last week, as family members have been hurting in this body, I've watched you raise up people to help provide the support and the need and the love that was necessary. Lord, would you continue that kind of a work by the power of your spirit, that the family that exists here would continue to blossom and flourish and grow to glorify your name, to magnify who Jesus is and the transformation that we have experienced not only individually, but also as a family of God. Lord, I ask that your spirit will minister and meet us where we need to. And certainly where I have fallen short, I ask that your spirit will take these words and these scriptures and imprint them on our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name. Amen.